You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. This morning I was praying and I felt like what the Lord put on my heart and I always want to have something that God has given me for you. And as I thought about you this morning, I thought about my own week and my own life. I started really feeling like there are a lot of people who are struggling in their own self-sufficiency and sort of the mental image I got the picture I got in my mind was that a lot of us are like Peter when Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water as Jesus called him to him and I feel like a lot of us are in a place where we're looking at the winds and the waves around us And as Peter began to sink, so we're sinking, we're struggling, we're fighting on our own. And my encouragement to you today is to take Jesus's hand, take God's hand that he's reached out to you and let him pull you up, let him lift you up. Let him be the rock that you stand on. In your time of need, let him be your provision. Let him be your sufficiency. Peter began to sink, but Jesus grabbed him lifted him up and walked him back to the boat. My encouragement to you today is that we would not trust in our own sufficiency, but trust in the sufficiency of Christ, trust in the sufficiency of God to meet every need, to deliver us from our troubles, from our fears, from our difficulties, from difficult days. Not that troubles won't come, but that he would get us through. Now I'd ask you this question, who are you leaning on? Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in God? What is it that needs to be surrendered to him? I wanna pray for us. We'll read the scripture and then pray. But I want you to listen to David as he praises the Lord. And my heart is that we would do this as we lean into him and we trust in him. David in Psalm 34 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are sufficient in everything, in every place, in every need. God, I pray that you would move in this place, move in our hearts. Thank you that you're faithful and where two or three are gathered in your name, Lord, you are there. Thank you that you go with us and you're in us, those who are in Christ, that you live inside of us. Thank you that you're greater than the things we face. Lord, I pray you'll speak to our hearts through your word. I pray that you would just move in power, transform us, make us to be more like Jesus, more like you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Hope you are well. Hope you're doing good and looking forward to today and uh, going through Psalm 34 with you and we're going to go through the first 10 verses this morning. But uh, how many of you would be willing to admit this morning, you'd be willing to uh, tell the truth in church, right? Um, that you might be a little bit moody. Any moody people in here? You might be a little bit moody. You can be honest, it's okay. I find myself to be a, a moody person a, as well. Um, I can have my, my moments of moodiness. And uh, I was thinking about that this morning and thinking about how um, sometimes, you know, you can be in a good mood and then all of a sudden you're just in a bad mood. And sometimes, you know, you don't really uh, maybe have a reason for that. It's just where you're at, Right. And, and I was thinking about that, but I was thinking about it in relationship to kind of having moody worship, right? Where sometimes we, uh, we just don't feel like worshiping, and so we don't. Um, sometimes we feel like worshiping, and we do. And when I talk about worship, I'm not talking about just the songs we sing on Sunday morning. I'm talking about the lives we live and living our lives for God. And I think it's easy for us to get in a place where our worship is sort of moody, It's sort of there one day and not there the next, there one moment, not there the next. And it's one of the things that I admire about David in this psalm, because in this psalm, David is not in a great place. Um, He has been running from King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. He's been running from King Saul and he is uh, on the run. He runs to the Philistines, which was an enemy of uh, Israel. 
But now that David is, is kind of going against Saul or Saul is coming against David, he feels like maybe I can find refuge there. So he goes to the Philistines, but the king of the Philistines recognizes David and he knows that uh, David is, is, has the hand of the Lord on him. He knows that if David turns on him, that they're going to be in trouble. So he's, he, he's planning to take David out himself. And so David resorts to acting crazy. He literally lets saliva run down his beard. He's drooling and he's going crazy. It's, the Bible says he marked the doors like he's, he's just going wild. And, and finally, the king, King Akish, the king of the Philistines, tells him, just get him out of my presence. Just get him out of here. So they kick him out of the land. He's still running from Saul. The reason I tell you that story is because that's what was going on in David's life when he wrote this psalm. So this was not like David was in this wonderful place. Yeah, he had been delivered from the hand of Achish, but he was still running from Saul. He was still in a place where he had been delivered, but he was in a place where he needed to be delivered from Saul. And he was in a place where he didn't know what the future was going to bring. But when we look at what David wrote and he writes to us he wrote so that we could read it all these years later, um, he says that I will extol the Lord at all times, meaning I will praise him enthusiastically at all times. And so David is in a place where he's in a difficult season, but he's still praising God. How many of you find it difficult in difficult times sometimes to praise Jesus, to praise God for wh where you're at and what's going on? I find it difficult myself at times, but David is saying, I will exalt him. I will praise him enthusiastically. I will worship him with my life at all times. In other words, in all seasons, in all things that I face. One of the things that I have seen is really three types of people, three types of Christians. One of those is Christians who um, they worship God when things are good, but they blame God when things are bad. Another group would be those who forget God when things are good and worship God and cry out to God when things get bad. And then the third one would be people who worship God in all seasons no matter what's going on, to be honest, I haven't met anyone who's gotten that one perfect yet. That people tend to have times and seasons where their worship of God is not there or it's not as strong as what it has been in other seasons. But David is encouraging us to praise him in all seasons, to remember who he is in all times and to worship him all the, all, always and that our praise, his praise will always be on our lips. The second verse there says, I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So he's telling us that he's going to glory in the Lord. What's he mean? He means I'm going to boast in God. I'm going to boast in him. I'm not going to boast in myself. I'm not going to point people to my accomplishments. I'm going to point people to what God has done. He said, I'm not going to prop myself up on my own uh, merit. I'm going to prop myself up on who God is. I'm going to stand on him. He's going to be my rock. He's going to be the one that I lean on. Because here's something that I've learned, and the Bible says this, and I found it to be true, that pride goes before destruction. It's absolutely true that a haughty spirit goes before a fall. And it's, it's absolutely true, and I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in, in, uh, from the very earliest ages, of first, some of the first memories I have. I can remember that being true in my life. One of those was when I was about 12 years old. Love baseball. You've heard me talk about this before. I love baseball. Um, grew up playing baseball. It was a huge part of my life. And, and it was a game that I was fairly decent at. Um, not great at, but decent at. And, and I, would, uh, I loved to play it. And I remember when I was about 12 years old, I went to the park. We had a game that day. And I remember telling people, uh, or a, a man and his son who was on the team, uh, I remember telling him, I think I'm going to throw a no-hitter today. That wasn't arrogant at all, right? I think I'm going to throw a no-hitter today. That's, that's, yeah, I think it feels like one of those kind of days. I think I'm just going to throw a no-hitter today. Went out there. One kid hit two home runs off of me. I gave up about 10 runs. It was one of the worst days I've ever had. And it was like right then even God was saying, look, don't prop yourself up on you. Don't boast in yourself. I remember when I first got saved, and this is still embarrassing because there, was, there are some people in here right now who are probably in this uh, class but when I first got saved, I was asked to teach a Sunday school class. And um, I, I went in to teach it, and the, the text that I was teaching on was the parable of the talents. And so I go in and I start teaching this class, and I'm just giving it all I got. And I wanted to leave there to be perfectly honest with people going, wow, he really knows the Bible. 
You know, I wanted to, to, to be able to impress people with my Bible knowledge. And so I go in and I start teaching this class and uh, I was on the parable of the talents. And so I'm talking about the talents and I'm talking about the gifts that we have and, and all these, these uh, talents that God's given us and these gifts that we have and all these things that we can do and how we should use our talents. And in other words, our giftings for God. And I get through teaching for about an hour and a guy raises his hand and very lovingly says, Brandon, do you know that the talent is actually a sum of money? Yeah, I knew that. I want to see if y'all knew that, right? Because certainly I wouldn't have messed that up. But it was one of those moments that was very humbling for me as I realized in front of about 25 people that I made a fool out of myself in the way I was teaching this and the way I was talking about this. And I, it was obvious to everybody, I didn't have a very clear understanding of what he was actually saying, what he was actually teaching. And so it was very embarrassing, but it was humbling. And I can tell you this, that when we begin to prop ourselves up on ourselves, we begin to point people to our own accomplishments. We begin to tell people who, how great we are. We begin to look to ourselves and our self-sufficiency. The problem with that is it always sets us up for a fall. The good news is that God never uh, lets us fall, that God will never, he always gives us a firm foundation to stand on. The Bible says in Matthew chapter seven, that if we will dig deep, in other words, if we will listen to God's word and do what he says, he says, it's like a man who dug deep and built his house on the rock. And it says that the wind and the rains will come, but it says that the house will not fall. And the good news for us is if we'll build our house on Christ, if we'll build our lives on Jesus, if we'll build on a firm foundation, then the good news for us is this, that we will not fall, that we may be shaken, that the ground may tremble beneath us, but the foundation that we're on is solid. It's not going anywhere. And Jesus will sustain us through whatever we go through. It's a promise of God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, and so it's the promise of God. It's the promise that God gives us that he'll sustain us through it all. And, and David is saying, I will glory. I will boast in that. I'll boast in him. I'll boast in the Lord, but I'm not gonna boast in myself. I'm gonna glorify him. I'm gonna point to the things that he's done. I'm gonna point people towards him and I'm gonna glory in him. And then he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In the first two verses, David is worshiping God. He's saying, I'm, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what, who I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to be about. And then in the third verse, he invites us to come in and do what he has been doing. He's saying, come and glorify him with me. Point to him with me. The word glorify literally means to magnify. It literally means to to uh, make God become more clear and pointing out his greatness and in talking about who he is to magnify God is to do exactly what it sounds like. It makes God bigger. It makes God to be seen more clearly as he's magnified, as we worship him, as we talk about the good things that he's done, as we talk about his greatness. Um, he is magnified and people are able to see him more clearly as we worship him. And this is what David invites us to. This is what God invites us to is an opportunity to magnify Magnify the Lord together, not just in here on Sunday morning, but as we live our lives every day of our life, as we go out into the world to magnify God in the way we live and in the way we act and the things we do um, in the things we say, as we glorify him, as we magnify his name and who he is so that others can see him. And this is important, especially when you start getting into verse four, five and six and seven, because David now is about to give the testimony about why he worships God this way. He's about to tell us why he worships in that way. And the very first one there in verse four, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So the first reason that David says he worships God like this, that this is who, why he worships is because God delivered him. Delivered him from what? From his fears. Here's the reality of it, guys. When we begin to worship God and God becomes bigger, when we begin to magnify God and God becomes clearer, then the things in our life begin to fail in comparison. The circumstances in our life begin to be smaller. And when they seem to be mountains, they begin to look smaller because we begin to see how big God really is. We begin to see how huge he is in comparison to the struggle that we may have. In comparison to the thing that we may face, we see that God is bigger. God is ultimately bigger. That his mercy is greater. That his grace is greater. That his power is greater. And so he says that when I sought him, he delivered me from all my fears. 
Are you seeking him right now? Can, this is the name of this series is God Honestly. In other words, it's an honest conversation with God that we read in the Psalms as David has these conversations with God, writes these Psalms to God. Can you honestly say today that, that, that you're seeking him? That you're trying to magnify him and you're like trying to see him more clearly? Because he says that this is the key to being delivered from all our fears. Is seeking after the Lord, seeking after who he is and what he's done. See, this is something that I've realized in my own life and I try to keep in mind is that the fear of God drives out the fear of everything else. That when we fear God, not in a terrified type way, but when we fear God from a way of respect, when we fear God in a way that we trust him, when we fear God in a way that we recognize his power and we trust in his power, we begin to drive out the fear of everything else. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. As we get to know God because we seek him, as we get to know God, as we pursue him, what we begin to see is his perfect love for us, his perfect grace for us, what he's done for us through Jesus as he gave his son for us so that we could have life and the promise of eternal life. What we begin to see is that God does this in for us that we begin to see it more clearly and that perfect love that we see in God begins to drive out the fear of everything else so that we're able to live our lives free from fear, free from the things that would drag us down. And we literally begin to see God break the chains off of our life from the things that hold us back and the things that hold us down. But the key to it, the thing that he says is that he sought the Lord and he answered him. He delivered him from all his fears. Are we seeking him? Are we honestly seeking the Lord today? Verse five, it says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. One of the reasons that David praises God is because he transformed him. He talks about his face being radiant. It makes you think back to when Moses would go and be in the presence of God you remember this? And God, he would come out of the tent of meeting and his face would be radiant. And it was so radiant that the Israelites would, would want him to wear a veil. He would wear a veil because his face was so radiant from meeting with God. In other words, his countenance had changed so much. The glory of God was being reflected in his face. He would wear a veil over his face because he was being transformed by this glory of God. It's another one that, that mentions this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, this was Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face. He's saying, since we have this hope in Christ, since we have this hope of glory in Jesus, we're not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, in other words, they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand what it was about. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Only until they could understand Jesus is that veil taken away. Is the veil removed? Is the blindness removed? So they can see the glory of Christ. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. They can't receive it. They can't receive what they can't see and understand. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the spirit, now that the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so what Paul is telling us is this, that when we come face to face, when we do, as this Psalm says, we look to him, uh, our, our face, our countenance, our, our whole being begins to be transformed. God begins to transform us as we look to him, as we do what the very first one talked about and we seek him, he begins to transform us. Our lives begin to be changed. He begins to change us from the inside out. We become different. And he tells us that we're being transformed into ever increasing glory. It says above this in another scripture that we're changed, transformed from glory to glory, that he's working in our lives to make us more like Christ. And that's the good news for us today is that through Jesus, God is working in us to transform us so that we can become more like his son. So we can be like him. But are we honestly, listen, are we honestly being transformed? Is God working in us? 
Because one of the realities is we cannot meet Jesus and we cannot pursue Jesus without something changing in our life, without God transforming us in our heart and in our lives. He says in verse six, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Verse six, he talks about this poor man. Most people believe that the poor man is David himself. It makes sense. When he says poor man, he's not talking about somebody that needed more wealth. He's talking about somebody who was afflicted, someone who was broken, someone who was in need of God's touch, not because he needed the provision of wealth, but because he needed to be made whole. He was afflicted and broken, a person who was broken. As David says this, it says that he cried out to the Lord. He called to the Lord and the Lord heard him. It says it saved him from all his troubles. It doesn't mean that David didn't have troubles. In fact, I told you where, where he was when he wrote this. He was facing troubles. He was facing difficult days. He was facing things that he didn't know how they were gonna end or what was gonna happen. But the reality and the good news is that he says, God saved me from all my troubles. In other words, God brought me through my troubles. God brought me to the other side of my troubles. The good news for us is this, that no matter what troubles we face, no matter what difficulties we go through, no matter what the, the, our life brings to us, God has promised to get us through. God has promised that we will be taken care of. God has promised his provision. God's promised that he will deliver us from all our troubles as we call out to him and we lean on him and trust in him and who he is, not our own su sufficiency and not our own ability, but in the ability of Jesus. Jesus and what he does. He says he will deliver us from all our troubles. How many of you would say that in your life you have or are facing troubles in your life today? I went uh, to go get my hair cut on Friday and my friend who cuts my hair came walking in. She was a few minutes late and she comes walking in uh, and she's like, and got, got glasses on and I'd never really seen her wearing glasses too much. So she had glasses on and and then she took her glasses off and looked at me and she had been to the eye doctor and her pupils were about this big around. And she was like this, looking at me. And I was like, okay, this might not be good. And she's like, puts the glasses back on, takes the glasses off, puts the glasses on. She's like, those don't really help and puts her glasses back down and gets the clippers. <laughs> I was like, this might be trouble, right? And then she's cutting my hair. I'm like, well, it looks okay so far, you know, for my head. Um, and she's, she's cutting my hair. And then she reaches over and grabs the scissors. And I'm not going to lie to you. I was, I was kind of like this. I was kind of like, do I really want to let this happen? Because she's got pupils that are this big around. She can't decide if she needs glasses or not. And she's holding a pair of scissors in her hand. And I'm thinking, she might end up stabbing me with those things, Right. I felt like I was in trouble. And that's a humorous illustration. That's a silly illustration. But the reality of it is for us that many of the times we find ourselves in situations that are very much uh, more difficult, that are very serious. And we find ourselves in trouble. The good news is that just as David says that he called out to the Lord and the Lord saved him out of his troubles, that we can trust in the Lord to save us from our troubles as well. If we just call out to him, we trust in him, we seek him and we are looking to him. The Bible tells us that he's gonna do these things in us. The Bible tells that if, if we seek him, we'll find him. If we ask, we'll receive. The Bible says if we knock, the door will be open. And the promise is that God would give us his spirit and that we can get through the things that we're going through because of who he is and what he's done and what he would do and the promises he's given us and the power of his Holy Spirit. He's gonna get us through the things we're going through. Take care of us, his children. Here's a question for you though. Do you honestly see your need for him? Do you honestly see your need for him? Are things so good you feel like you got it? Are things so bad you wonder where he's at? The promise is that if we call out to him, that he brings us through the troubles, that he saves us from the troubles, that he takes care of us in the midst of the troubles. Are you calling out to him? Are you trusting him today? Verse seven says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them and he delivers them. The next one that I believe is part of David's testimony is that God fought for him. God fought for him. 
the good thing for us is this, that God fights for us as well. So you don't have a God. Listen, this is so good. You don't have a God who is removed from your situation. You don't have a God who's removed from your life. You have a God who's very much related to you. That's very much in your life. It's very much a part of your life. In fact, if you're in Christ, you have God on the inside of you, working inside of you. Um, and so he is a part of our lives. He is a huge part of our lives to bring us through the things that we're going through, to get us through this life, to bring us to the other side. He is with us. He fights for us. The good news is today that in your struggle today, God is fighting for you. In your struggle with a pornography addiction, God is fighting for you. In your struggle with a broken marriage, God is fighting for you. In your struggle with your own children and your own issues with your children and raising godly children, God is fighting for you. In your struggle with, with alcohol or drugs, in your struggle with promiscuity and sexual immorality, in your struggle, God is fighting for you to make you like Christ. If there's an obstacle in your life that is hindering you from being like Jesus, then God is fighting for you to overcome that obstacle. God is fighting fighting for you. Amen. And then I want you to see a couple of ways that God does fight for us. One of those is his spirit wars against the flesh. His spirit wars against the flesh. In other words, his spirit, the Holy Spirit works in us to lead us to holiness. The Holy Spirit leads us to holiness. So his spirit wars against those fleshly desires, the lust of the flesh that we all have. These things that are not of God. It says that his spirit works in us to lead us away from those things and to lead us into righteousness, to lead us into holiness. So the spirit of God fights for or and against our flesh so that we can become more like Christ. We have to submit ourselves to his spirit. We walk in obedience, walk in step. We keep in step with the spirit of God. Another way that God is fighting for us is God fights against our enemies. See, we have uh, truly have an enemy and enemies who want to take us out. I'm not talking about your neighbor, right? I'm talking about Satan. I'm talking about the evil one. He wishes not to harm you, not to hinder you, but to completely destroy you. The good news is that God fights for us in that. The good news is that God has fought for us and that Satan has been overcome. And the good news that I'll tell you today is this. You will never face anything in your life that Jesus has not already overcome on the cross. He has already overcome every situation, everything that you're going to face. It's why you hear people say all the time, we don't fight for a victory, we fight from a victory. And so we're fighting on, in, on a team that's already won the game. And when I go and watch my kids play Little League Baseball, I get so nervous. I get more nervous watching them than I do whenever I was actually playing. And if I knew like, that they won the game already, it would take away a lot of my nerves. But I get so nervous for them. I want to see them win. I want to see them succeed. And the thing about it is like I get really, really anxious and nervous about that game. I know it may sound silly, but I just really want to see them do well. And so when I get in that situation, it would make a whole lot of difference if I knew the outcome of the game before it started. The reality of us and for us is that we get to live our lives in a way that we already know the outcome of this life that we win. People ask me, how do you interpret the book of Revelation? And this is how I interpret the book of Revelation. We win. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? We win. Right? We win. And so that's the good news, that God is fighting for us, that we win because he fights for us. I want you to look at a scripture with me. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6. And this scripture comes out of a place where there's a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha is um, helping the Israelite army because the Arameans have been fighting with the Israelites. And the Israelites were the people of God, God's chosen people. And they've been fighting each other. But Elisha would go and tell the king of Israel wherever the Arameans were going to strike. So much so that the king, um, king, the king of the Arameans was actually thinking that somebody on the inside, somebody in, on his side was telling them their battle plans. But the reality of it is that that wasn't what was happening. Elisha was hearing from God and telling his king what was going to take place. 
And so when the king finds this out, when the, when king, the king of Aram finds this out, he finds out where Elisha is. And the Bible says that he sends his horses and chariots and a strong force there. They're basically going to take Elisha out. But listen to this. It says, when the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant, in other words, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. So he is freaking out. He sees all of these horses, all of these chariots surrounding them. He thinks we are done. And he begins to panic. Elisha says this, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him, with them. This is the point where you think he's lost his mind. Now, not only is he surrounded by an enemy army, but he's also with a crazy man, right? Because he's looking at a situation. He's saying that we got more with us than they do. And he's like, it's just us, fool. And so he's freaking out. He's thinking this is over. And it says, and Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It says, as the enemy came toward, down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them? My father, shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. The thing I want you to see in this is the victory that God gave them. It was as much a spiritual victory as a physical victory. But the reality of it is that the servant couldn't see this coming. Elisha, through the eyes of faith, knew that there were more with him than were against him. He knew that God was fighting for them. He knew that God was going to give them victory in this situation. And I want you to see this and I want you to grab hold of this because there's some things we need to take away from it. The very first one is that we need to realize that we are in a battle. We do have an enemy who wants to take us out. And so we need to look at this and see this and understand this. The second thing we need to do is we need to pray for our eyes to be open. That our eyes are open to see the, 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 the battle clearly. And that our eyes are open to see that God is with us. That God is fighting for us. That we can draw strength from the fact that God is fighting with us, not against us. And so that we begin to lean on him and trust in him. The third thing we need to do is realize that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is God than the things that I face. Greater is God than the issues and struggles that I'm up against. Greater is God. So that I'm trusting in him to bring me through whatever it is I'm going through. Think about how faithful God has already been to you in your life. How faithful he's been. His past faithfulness ought to give us future faith for what he's going to do. And so we continue to trust and we realize that greater is he than the things that I'm facing, than the things that I'm seeing, that there are more fighting for me and a greater force fighting for me than those who are fighting against me. The last thing we need to do is step in obedience. So we need to recognize the battle. We need to pray for our eyes to be open. We need to realize that greater is God than the things that I'm facing. And then we need to step in obedience to do what God wants us to do. There are a lot of times what I hear when people are talking and what I see in our lives, my life included, is that oftentimes when we talk about the battles of life and we talk about the challenges of life, many of us respond this way, either in our actions or maybe even with our words. We respond this way and say, I'll fight the battle. Anybody in here just honestly struggle with that self-sufficiency. You just think, I got to do it. I'm going to do it. But, you know, bless the Lord. I'm going to fight this battle. I'm going to do it myself. 
and, and, and it goes well. The problem is until we run out of strength, right? Because we try to do everything on our own. We try to be so self-sufficient. We don't want to depend on anybody else or anything. And so, until, so it ends up leading us to run out of strength, to run out of our own ability. And so this thought of I'll fight the battle doesn't work. And then I hear on the other side, people will say, he'll fight the battle, meaning God. And that's great and that's good, but it removes our responsibility from the whole issue altogether. And it is true that God will fight the battle. He does fight for us. But I believe this, I believe the proper response is we will fight the battle. And let me explain this to you because it sounds a little off. The weight of the victory is completely on God. God is the one who will give the victory. Our only responsibility is obedience. Our only responsibility is to step in faith when God says step. And think about the great victories that God gave in all of these other places in Scripture. The great victories God gave, yes, they were victories that God gave them, but people acted in faith and they acted in obedience. One of those instances being in Exodus chapter 14, when Moses is about to lead the Israelites across the Red Sea. And they're, they're, they're panicking, they're freaking out because the Egyptians are coming to try to kill them. They're running from the Egyptians who had had them in slavery. They get pinched between the Red Sea and the Egyptians. And so they're not knowing what to do. And this is what it says. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see you or you will never see again. It says, the Lord will fight for you. And listen to Moses, you need only to be still, right? But listen to the next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Isn't that kind of, that's kind of funny to me, right? Because he's in this situation where he's in a dire situation. And he's you know, like, God help us. And God's like, why are you crying out to me? He says, tell the Israelites to move on. And so on one hand, God, or Moses is saying, you just need to be still. On the other hand, God's telling them they need to move on. And God tells Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And listen to this, I, meaning God, will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And so what you see in this is you see Moses' obedience. You see God fighting the battle. You see God winning the battle. All Moses did was to be obedient. The Israelites were simply obedient to keep walking, to keep moving, to keep stepping, to take their next step of faith. And that's what God calls us to, just to take that next step. You don't have to take a hundred. You have to take one to keep moving in his direction. And it says that he fights the battle as we're simply obedient to do what he tells us to do. He fights the battle. Another example is when David fights Goliath. David even says this in the scripture. When he's about to fight Goliath, he goes and, and he even tells us in verse 45, I believe it is, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered there will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And then you see David, it says, as Goliath begins to charge at him, he begins to charge at Goliath. And we know that he takes his sling and he takes a stone and he waves it over his head and he throws it and it hits Goliath and it says it sinks down into his forehead. Goliath falls on his face. David goes over, picks up Goliath's sword, cuts his head off with his own sword and God wins a victory. They end up routing the Philistines as David defeats Goliath. But David still had to be obedient to do what God told him to do. He still had to step. He still had to believe. It was a step of faith. God, yes, God wins the battle. God has won the battle. God gives us the victory. 
We just step in faith, knowing and trusting that God is going to do what he's promised to do. We see that and we know that and we believe that and we trust that, that God is going to do what he has promised he will do. I wanna finish with these last three verses, eight, nine, and 10. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As we look at David's testimony, one, that he sought the Lord and he was delivered from all his fears. Two, that he looked to him and, and he is transformed as he pressed into the Lord. Uh, three, verse six, that this poor man called out and, and he saved him. And four being that the Lord fought for him. We look at this testimony. And then we get to verse eight. And what David tells us in verse eight is he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's basically saying, experience him. Try him. He'll prove himself to you. He'll prove himself faithful if you'll put your trust in him. Verse nine, he says, fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. In other words, if you'll trust in him, he'll take care of you. He will bring you through. He will make sure that you have what you need to get to the other side. He'll provide for you in Christ. He'll take care of you in Jesus. He'll bring you through the troubles. Verse 10, it says, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In that, the lions represent self-sufficiency. You think about it, who of all, all the animals in the jungle, right, in the world are going to eat? It's going to be the lions, the king of the jungle. He's saying even these self-sufficient lions, they may go hungry, but you're going to lack no good thing. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to see this through with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my child. I'm going to love you. But he tells us that self-sufficiency won't work. It's what we started this morning with. It's why I believe God put it on my heart to share that with you this morning. Is that our self-sufficiency, it leaves us struggling. It leaves us drowning. It doesn't allow us to, to produce the fruit that God wants to produce in our lives. It causes us to struggle. It causes a weight that God doesn't intend for us to carry. He wants us to trust in his sufficiency, not our own. And I want to share with you this morning, it's something that I shared at the nine o'clock service. I had not planned on sharing this at all today, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. When we talk about being sufficient and self-sufficient, it's a struggle that I have. And I've shared with you a lot in the past a lot of my own struggles, a lot of my own difficulties. And the thing that I will tell you is that I still have those battles. I still have the struggles of life. I still have times where I battle. When I, I struggle, and I've shared this struggle with you, with depression, it's a real issue for me. And here's the thing that I know I know there are a lot of people who say, well, it's not even real. It's not something that's real. You just need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. It's not a real struggle for you. And this is what I would say to you. You haven't walked in my shoes. And there are a lot of other people in this room. You've never walked in their shoes either. And the reality of it is for us that there's a very real battle. I'm going to tell you that I have carried this battle and I've carried this fight for a long time and it's been God's grace that has brought me through every bit of it to see me through it to give me the strength to get through it and it got into a place though where I couldn't go without taking medicine I went to see a doctor he put me on medicine and I can tell you that I'm not proud of that it's not something that I want to do, but it's something that's been necessary for me. I've watched how this has affected the people I love. I've watched how it's affected my own children. And the rest of my family. And it's something that I battle against. About three or four weeks ago, I decided I was done with the medicine. I'm not going to take it anymore. Done with it. 
So I started trying to come off of it. And a couple of weeks ago, I had one of the worst weeks of my life. I went to one of the darkest places I've ever been. And I got to a point where I realized I'm going to have to take it. I'm going to have to take the medicine. And I realized at that point that I had to let go of my self-sufficiency. I realized at that point that my strength was not going to suffice in doing this. I know you have your own struggle. And I don't share anything ever so that you would feel sorry for me. I love for you to pray for me. I appreciate that. But it's not to gain sympathy. I share my struggle with you in hopes that you would share yours with someone else. That you wouldn't live fighting this on your own, whatever that might be that you would let others help you. That you would let others walk with you. And that you would come to a point of admitting, I can't do this on my own. If not for the grace of God, and if not for the help of others, I wouldn't make it. And I'm so hesitant to share this with you. Because I do struggle with what people think. It is a real battle for me. But guys, this is what I know. I know there are some people in this church that have my back. And come hell or high water, they're going to be there. And I know that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus and through the power of having people around me who hold up my arms, I'm gonna make it through. I'm not throwing in the towel. There are gonna be days that it's a battle, that it's a fight for my life. I understand that. I'm willing to admit at this point in my life that I have an issue that is real. But I know this. I know that Jesus is going to bring me through to the other side. And I am done with my own self-sufficiency. I can't do it. But I know this. God can. And God will. And my prayer is that you would allow him to do that for you as well. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your battle is, whatever your doubt is, whatever your problems are, whatever your circumstances look like, God will bring you through. He's already won the battle. We just need to trust in him and take our step of faith, trusting him, holding his hand, taking his hand as it's reached down to us to help us up. That's what you have opportunity to do this morning. And every day of your life is to walk hand in hand with God. The God who will never leave you, never forsake you, who will never walk away from you, and who will sustain you through it all. That's the God that we serve. This morning, before we go, I want to pray for you, and I especially want to pray for you. Listen, if, you, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and your sufficiency has always been found in yourself and you've never said, Lord, you are my Lord, you're my God, you're my Savior, the day you can do that, the day you can find forgiveness in Christ, you can find forgiveness in Jesus, you can walk in God's power, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you that opportunity.
But today you would say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've never said yes to Jesus as my Savior, but I want to. Then I want to give you this opportunity to say, I want Jesus in my life. I want, I want to be saved. I want to follow him. Is there anybody here today that you would say, today I need him and I want him and I want to say yes to him as the Lord of my life? I want you to just raise your hand. Stick your hand up in the air and say, I need Christ. Amen. A couple of hands in the back. Well, a couple of our prayer folks, would you grab them and pray with them or one of our connect group leaders? I know there's a young lady in the back. If you would just get them and pray with them. Anybody else, today you would say, yes, I, I need Christ in my life. And here's how I want to wrap up the sermon. I want to pray for you. If today you say, yeah, I've got my own struggle, my own battle, my own circumstances. And today I want to trust in the sufficiency of Jesus with those. In fact, I'm going to ask you, would you bow your heads, please, and, and just begin to pray and I want to ask you today. You just feel like the Lord's leading you to lay it all down and trust Him and trust in His sufficiency, not your own. I want to ask you to acknowledge that today, that I'm laying down this circumstance, this struggle, this problem, this issue. I'm laying it down today and trusting the sufficiency of God. I'm going to ask you to acknowledge that today. Would you raise your hand and say, yeah, I want you to pray for me. I need prayer today for this, to lay this down. Amen. And let's pray. God, thank you so much for your heart for us, your love for us, your grace in our lives. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that as we come to the end of ourselves, we would simply cry out to you. We'd lift our eyes up to you, that we would look upon you, that you would transform us. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I thank you that you're gonna bring us through to the other side. I pray that your spirit would, God, just flood into these people, God, that need you, that your grace would overwhelm them and they would realize that you are sufficient to do what you promised to do. We give you the thanks and the praise. We give you the glory for who you are and what you do and how you do it. In Jesus' name, amen.